HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program has been brought to you by Cider Week New York City, happening November 6th through 15th, 2015. For more information, check out ciderweeknyc.com. Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, host of Full Service Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this show, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to episode 239 of Cutting the Curd, a podcast all about cheese, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. (laughs) Today's episode is a continuation of a discussion from an episode that broadcast on our radio network about a year ago. That was episode 194. It was called What's in a Cheese Name? In that episode, I spoke with Rachel Perez and David Grotenstein about name-protected cheeses of Europe. Um, For today's episode, I'm talking with Thalassa Skinner of Culture Magazine and Deborah Dickerson of Tamales Bay Foods about cheese names here in the U.S. They're both on the line. How are you doing, gals? Hey, Greg. (laughs) Hey, Greg. (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. Pleasure. So... I was driving up the road or being driven up the road in uh, towards Keene, New Hampshire with my family, and uh, and I went past this sort of um, unmarked building that had this huge old sign in front of it, and the sign was like one of those big metal signs with a with sort of like neon uh, like lights around it, and it was pointing towards the building, and it just said stuff and things, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like. Wow, you know, I I need to go in there. I have no idea what's in there. There's no windows in the building, but I need to know what stuff and things are, you know. And um, and I was like, that's a great name. And it just made me start thinking. Um, I was away from cheese for a minute, and it made me start thinking about um, cheese names, and uh, not cheese names so much um, in terms of protecting them and. Uh, you know, using the the PDO method of, of name protection, but just names in general. It's certainly thinking about names of everything, but mostly names of cheese, because I have a lot of those rattling around my head all the time, and uh, I'm sure both of you do too. So with that in mind, I wanted to ask you both, and maybe you could start, Deborah. Uh, what do you think makes an effective cheese name for American producers? 
Uh, first of all, hi, Lassa. It's nice to share Greg with you. Um, <laughs> Ditto. And, um, uh, you know, I thought that this was going to be a really easy question, but when I started thinking about it, it got a little bit complex. And I think the first thing is that we don't have a tradition, right, like the like the protected names of Europe. We, we don't have any, so we have all kinds of crazy names out there. Um, and, I, and I was starting to think about it, and I think my bottom line is it only matters in the very beginning. Right. Once you taste that cheese, if that cheese knocks your socks off, you'll never forget that name, no matter what it is. It's all of those steps in between, right? So that's the big thing for me. And the second thing is, where is it going to be sold, right? Because there's some names we find in the artisan cheeses that we sell to restaurants. They don't want to say that on the menu because they right. don't think it's friendly with food. Right? But if you're in a retail shop, if it's number one pronounceable, number two, if it, pro, if it portrays some kind of an attitude, right, about the cheese, um, and if it's men- memorable, or maybe it tells something about what the cheese is going to taste like or what kind of cheese it is. But at the end of the day, if the cheese is great, it's not an issue. That's what I think. That's pretty, that's pretty good. Thalassa, what about you? What do you think? I think that... I think that's really well said, Deborah. Um, and as always, you're always well well spoken. And um, I feel that uh, that we do American cheesemakers do tend to still kind of like um, a lot of the PDO cheeses still do tend towards um, using names that are locations or things that are iconic for their region. So there really is still a tie to the place, and that, and that does matter with the cheese as well uh, in terms of the cheese maker. So there's, that's one thing. But I'd also say that a catchy name, um, to me, that isn't too trite, that is catchy, um, something like Fat Bottom Girl, doesn't exactly. necessarily say what the cheese is, but it kind of sticks in your mind, and it, it makes you smile, and then it stays in your mind. And we're very good at marketing in America. We are. So there is something to that. But I'd say, first of all, just as Deborah, I completely agree with you. If the cheese is great and you want it, again, you're going to remember the name of it. So it all comes back to, is it a great cheese, and what, you know, what the individual preference is on that. So, see, the name, so I would actually agree with all of that to a certain extent. Um, I, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm stubborn. So sometimes if I don't like the name, even if the cheese tastes really good and people say, what's the name of that cheese? I sort of begrudgingly like set it out. I'm like, yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> and, and then, you know, but that's me because I'm a curmudgeon. Um, I agree. <laughs> it's, it's just a, how I am. Um, memorable and pronounceable are fantastic. Uh, for American cheeses, that's a lot easier. I feel like, you know, names of European cheeses just sound better. And most of the time, they're very utilitarian in nature. You know, people say that to me all the time at Italy, I want Pecorino Toscano. And I'm like, yes, that sounds great. It just means sheep from Italy, you know, and, and, and that's great. But I, but, and, and I also agree that uh, things that are catchy but not trite, um, I feel like as Americans, we are very good marketers, but we are also very trite. 
you know, in, <laughs> in a lot of ways. Uh, the name Fat Bottom Girl is fantastic, um, but that's just a great – that's also a, the name – of a song, correct? Right. So, yeah, Queen song. Right. So, I mean, that's that's like um, that's a great uh, sort of neo, you know, marketing right there. You know, they're taking something that's recognizable and applicable to their product. You know, um, because everybody loves that song. You know, and um, and the cheese also happens to be very good. Targeting yeah. their market, very clever. You're right. You know exactly. And um, I, I feel like you know, I think Deborah, what you said is really really it's really important and true is that we we don't have we don't have that tradition you know then well, we we do but it's not the same it's not steeped in the same principles as the european tradition i feel well and i and i feel like uh not to get too far into this um why wouldn't that- you Sorry, go ahead. I said, why wouldn't you want to get too far into this? Well, no, I mean, uh, what I was about to say is that I don't want to get too far into the PDO idea. But the fact of the matter is, as a former cheesemonger and as the cheese people, we have to describe something as something. So we still go back to um, the place of origin uh, of many, many of the traditional cheeses or the cheeses that a lot of the recipes come from. And what we, when I mean, we're talking about grappling with a new name, and the, the fact is it's, it, is, it is a new cheese, but it's still uh, um, based on, a, on an, an, an older tradition coming from, often from Europe. So, you know, it you we do kind of have to have some reference to something, and I feel like a name can can ex- should express a location or something that is of the new cheesemaker of the cheesemaker here in America, but also with a nod, if if possible, to its heritage, its origin originally. And I like I like the idea of. At least when I think of cheeses, trying for, to have people not just think about the name, but what is it? Is it a cow's milk? Is it a goat's milk? Is it a sheep's milk? Is it a firm cheese? Is it a soft cheese? More of that, and then getting to the point where they start to remember the actual name of the cheese. So it's kind of a, everything's kind of a domino effect in how you learn about this. Can I jump in here? I would like because that. there's a, a an example Lassa, that came to mind for me as you were speaking, and I, I and I think that you know in terms of identifying cow goat sheep and soft and hard and rind and all that stuff, I absolutely agree. But I am a big believer that if you steer the customer down a path towards a uh, European traditional, you set them up to love it or hate it. So there's an example of um, Springbrook Farm who makes an amazing cheese called Redding, which is, you know, great in many ways. It's a, it's a beautiful cheese. It's farmstead. It's accessible flavor profile. And when they originally brought it out, and perhaps even still, they called it Redding Raclette. Mm-hmm. We were delighted yep. to have the opportunity to sell it. And I threw myself at their feet and said, please, don't make me call it Redding Raclette. Let me just call it Redding. Because I feel real strongly that the Raclette is, is, you know, pretty clearly defined to a good segment of the population. And I didn't want Redding to lose because it was different. And it could be good different or it could be bad different, but I felt like that close 
that close association set us up for the potential to lose, and I didn't want to Com- lose. So we just call completely it agree with you on that. I guess I didn't mean in the name itself. I meant in the follow-up of what yep. it is, because it is. We are. I mean, it will be wonderful when we get to the point where we really have our own names and our own actual areas where people are helping produce a similar style of cheese because that works best there. Um, but we're far cry from that at the moment. So um, catchy names, coming back to it, I think is really, really important. Um, something like a Humboldt Fog, which both has a, a, um, a sense of place, but then also has a visual image, yep. you know, that it conjures up. And then it literally is something that you think about, the fog in Humboldt County. Right. So, and that's an aesthetic uh, of the cheese, too. That little, that little ash line through the center is supposed to be the exactly. horizon over Marin County, right? Yep. Now, I wanted to bring it back just a second to what you were saying, Deborah, about Redding. See, now I, at Italy, I, I don't sell French cheeses, or at least I don't advertise that I sell French cheeses. <laughs> um, uh, now, I call Redding Redding Raclette, and it works, you know, mm-hmm. um, because people ask me for raclette all of the time, you know? Mm-hmm. So if I, so, well, it works, it works in, as soon as people taste it and realize how wonderful it is because I get people from Europe and they want raclette and I say, I have a raclette, it's from Vermont. And, you know, they turn their noses up a lot and they're like, eh, hmm, you know, and, but then I shove some of it into their face and then they usually <laughs> buy large amounts of it, you know? And I... I get what you're saying. You know, you didn't want to have to call it that because you 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 put it up against other cheeses that are called raclette. That's why you wanted to call it something different, right? Well, well we don't want- sell raclette either, right? But I, my method is exactly the same as yours. Get it in their mouth right. Right? as quickly as possible and let them. And the difference is I just I don't give them the benchmark comparison. I, right. let them, I let them do it themselves. And, you know, none of us say, oh, I don't have that, right? We all go, here, try this. Right, right, and and here's let them a, go. An alternative, from, exactly. Let them so. go from there. So, yeah, I don't know what that is. It it could be from my experience with Montgomery's cheddar, sure. You know, and the Neil Jard dairy names, which are all very much um, in in terms of clearly identifying the type and then honoring the producer. You know, and that the, is their mm-hmm. method. The territorial, the territorials are the what territorials, they use. The territorials, exactly. Right. Um, but to put, you know, the Kirkham name on it or to Kirkham's Lancashire or to put Montgomery's cheddar on it. And and for me, that was, a, it, it is a true English cheddar. And yet there are, you know, four producers of traditional English cheddar and the Montgomery's cheddar is different than the Keene's cheddar. And so the nuances of those differences are critical so that it is both that territorial name cheddar and Montgomery's name is key for people understanding the cheese. Sure, it's like a so, surname. Anyway, maybe maybe I was too um, I, I was too influenced by those strict territorial uh, no, territorial territorial. But those territorial are strong rocks. names. I would also jump in and say that I think it's knowing your audience on that. And mm-hmm. I mean, Greg, um, just taking those two examples based on. The you know the kind of people that are uh, the Europeans that are coming into Italy versus what will probably I mean there'll be well, there's a lot of uh, pe- different people coming into the Ferry Plaza building and especially you know there versus Point Reyes they're markedly different so it's 
the skill of the actual person behind the counter who is talking about things and how you approach that. Sure. You're going to have two different populations. But it's like it's like this. It's like like a golf course. You have the pro tees, you have the everybody tees, and you got the senior tees. You know, uh, which tee you play from, you know, right. kind of helps out your score. So if you handicap somebody with a real crappy name, you're going to put another 20 yards on the on the you know on the course for them, and the chances of them getting the ball in the hole, which is somebody's mouth, is a little bit less, in my opinion. You know, that's why I yep. like strong names, and I like. There are, you know, there are a lot of different examples of cheese names that work. And I was hoping we could maybe just dial it back a second because we could all talk a long time about this because we have lots of names in our head. But I've got a list of different types of cheese names, and I just wanted to go through a couple of them and uh, talk about how effective they are at selling cheese and describing mm-hmm. the flavor or philosophy behind the cheeses. So, you know, we have cheeses named after where they're made in the U.S., and then cheeses named after the cheese or place in Europe that inspired them. Which one do you guys think is more effective? And uh, Lassa, I'll start with you. Are you talking about more effective for the American market? Yes. In our market to sell cheese. I think that if you have, I think in the U.S. market, it's more effective. If you're taking uh, the average person, if you say a Vermont cheddar, I think that you'll have a lot of people go for that. Why do you think that is? Is that what you mean? It is what I mean. But why do you think okay. that is? Because I, I think we're proud. And I think that it, it identifies the if it's an American cheese that is already known in that area, like a New York State cheddar versus a Vermont cheddar, that you're going to have people purchasing it for that. If it's just, if it says, you know, um, Montgomery cheddar, it's still, a, for, it's a much smaller uh, chunk of the population that knows what that means. Right on. Deborah, do you agree with that? Uh, I, I do, although I, um, I think I do agree. And I also, when I was looking back, there's a lot of cheesemakers, Lassa, as you referred to in the beginning, who pull geographic names for their sense of place, right? And right. these are places I never in God's name have ever heard of. You know, maybe they're increasing tourism in their area, but there's that lovely cheesemaker. Um, his, his company is called Volto, and he has a cheese called o- Oliote. Am yeah. I pronouncing that right? Sure. That's, that's so, as well as I pronounce it. <laughs> so it's like, what the heck is that, right? <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe it's an Indian name. But indeed, it's, it's about a river, it's, right? Yeah, it's and named it's, after a creek. It's yeah. about a right. It's about a creek, and I just thought that was fascinating. And that's where he is, and that's his geography. I think it's somewhere in Delaware or something like that. Yeah, I think, and and I completely agree with that too. I I feel like I was talking in a big sense sure. versus a small. Like sure, almost all the Jasper Hill cheeses are sure. named after a person got, or a place, and yeah. as is Mount Tam and da da da. And then I, you have a collection, right? So you know, right? You know yeah. that any, not to speak of cowgirl cheeses specifically, but... Why would you do that? We're all about the geography in our area, right? Mount Tamalpais, which is Mount Tam, and the, you know, the Pierce Point and the Red Hawk, which is the bird, and we are really the sense of place, and so our collection is about that, right? And like Jasper Hill with the Windermere, right? And the, the, the people, the ladies in blue, it's about, the their, hist- it's about right. their geography and their history. So then it becomes familiar, and then it, it creates that, um, that sense of place and that sense of history, which I think is great. 
If you look at the other thing that I wanted to, just because I think this is one of the most adorable labels out there, you think of Cypress Grove, right? And they've done such a good job, and they have um, continued to move forward with their labeling and their branding, right? So they had their fresh shav, and then they had... Um, psychedelic with the D-I-L-L, right, and the Purple fresh haze. Dill, right? And then they have the Midnight yeah. Moon, right? And I, and I thought, oh, that's a picture of a moon over cypress trees. But when I pulled up, it's this woman from the 20s. She's like a flapper, and she's right. standing in a, hat. in a forest somewhere. But then you look at Lamb Chopper. Is that not the best label, right, of a lamb <laughs> on the back of a motorcycle? I don't really kind of care what the cheese tastes like, though it happens to be delicious. The label is adorable. Yeah, it totally is. I I agree, and that's a uh, that actually brings me to my next category of cheese name. Um, what do you guys think? And uh, Deborah, I'll go first to you on this one. Like cheese names that are cute or memorable. Uh, where do you, where do you stand on that? You know, as opposed to like those. Those solid English territorial names or those names of cheese, the cheese names that are, are specifically referring to a place or, you know, or a region. You like the cute names? I think that uh, this goes back to Lassa's point of know your audience, right? So um, the Fat Bottom Girl is one. This is the one that a restaurant who is a huge supporter of it won't call it that. <laughs> Just, they won't. They Why won't not? call it that. The servers won't call it that. It's what do they very- call it? It's a, it's a, you know, it's a fancy restaurant, very expensive, incredible food, you know, top chef, won't call it that. They just won't do it. She has other names like Malicious, right, which is a blue cheese, which is phenomenal, adorable names, absolutely adorable. Um, some people love it. Some people think it cheapens the brand. I myself um, think it shows the attitude of the cheesemaker, and, and her byline is, you know, we make great cheese and don't take ourselves too seriously, and, it's tr- and it, you know, it shows. It shows. And again, as long as that cheese is great, it's great. I think yeah. it's the, the ubiquitous ones, the ones that are like, you know... Um, That's a great word, ubiquitous. <laughs> But it's, it's names like that which you don't quite know what to do with it, like Moon Over the Prairie. Right, that's a little much. But I would buy a cheese named Ubiquitous Blue if that were out there. Ooh, I don't I would, like it. I would buy someone will take you up Sounds that awesome. <laughs> Sounds awesome. You know, and, uh, Again, I think you're picking your audience on that one. Yeah, exactly. Right, but a lot of people thing. wouldn't know how to pronounce that, but I'm just putting it out there. You have this other – so I have one more question before we go to break, but th- it is about your audience. See, like, So I look at cheese names. So there's a great farm in Vermont, and I've interviewed the, guy, the cheese makers on, on the show before, and it's the Twig Farm. And yeah. uh, he ha- his names are so simple. It's like yeah. square cheese. Yeah, twig, uh, twig round, goat tongue. Fuzzy. Uh, fuzzy wheel. That's pretty awesome. I love it. Yeah. There's like but a simple he can, he elegance in that. can do that, that because he's not mixing any other milks. And, you know, he's, and I love that, too. I think it's great. I was thinking about that as we were going to have this conversation. I thought, well, what if everybody just said, you know, Square cheese. Um, What's the name of your cheese? Round cheese. cheese. <laughs> yeah. Which is how, how I like to ed, you know talk about cheese. Well, what do you like? Do you like it when it has a blooming rind and you like a soft goat? But how do you identify different makers beyond that and which, which of their cheeses? So the names are absolutely crucial. And, you know, I, I mean, going back to this idea of cute names, I think there is a place for them. I personally, um, some I really like, like Fat Bottom Girl, and I also like Barely Buzzed. Mm-hmm. I think it says something about it. But I would be more inclined to want to see less trite and more 
more what is it. Doesn't say I like cheeses that actually tell the names that tell you something about the cheese. I agree. And my last question, and I'm going to throw this out to you, uh, to you, Deborah, and then Delasa. I want your opinion too. Um, so, how do you think U.S. cheese names are perceived on the international market? Oh, good question. I Ooh. don't think a lot of American cheeses are exported. Um, so the ones that are, I think, uh, there's very few artisanal ones that are exported. Um, and so I don't think that... Not yeah. enough information, small sample size? Exactly. Yeah, I, well, I let me reverse that, that. There's so, so few out but there. What, that, what do you think European you know, cheesemongers, ma- makers, and customers think of cheeses when they come to America to buy U.S. cheese? Because I know that people from Europe do that. They do it in my store all the time. Mm-hmm. What do you well, think I Europeans think they're, they're think looking of for it. I know that for a fact, having just been over in you know in Italy and and in Bra, where they there was a whole cheese, a whole group from America, it's and they're, they're excited and they see the momentum and you know they they want to try them. They're much less worried about the name of the cheese than they are in tasting it. And if they like it, they buy it because Europeans really love to eat cheese. Right. Well, they and, better and be I, worried. I also think that some of those quirky little. Uh, you know, quirky little names, cute little names, it, you know, the meaning might be lost on them, right? It yeah. might be a literal literal translation, which might be a little bit confusing, but nonetheless, in the mouth, it might make the statement. Well, they need to pay attention because for the purpose of this show, they need to care, all right? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but, oh, they do. They do. <laughs> well, so we're going to take a little bit of a break, and then we're going to come back and uh, talk about something else for a minute. Hang on. bring profitability to local orchards while reviving heirloom apple varieties by cultivating awareness of craft cider. Cider Week connects cider makers from New York State and select pioneering guest cideries outside the state to buyers from top restaurants, bars, and retail shops across New York City. Those culinary tastemakers in turn help increase consumer awareness of cider's pleasures by hosting public events, tastings, dinners, classes, and pairings that build appreciation and demand for regional ciders. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. I have Deborah Dickerson and Lassa Skinner on the line, and we've been talking about cheese names in the U.S., which is super fun, and I, and I love it. Um, but I want to switch gears for a minute, and I want to quickly touch base on the latest chapter in the battle for raw milk cheese here in the U.S. Uh, today is the November 2nd deadline for submissions in response to the FDA's request for information regarding safe production of cheese from unpasteurized milk. Uh, for those of you who listen weekly, we did a couple of public service announcements in our prior episode about filling out the Cheese Coalition survey about consumer attitudes towards raw milk cheese. 
And uh, that also falls under this request for info from the FDA. So, Deborah, I was wondering if you could maybe talk to our listeners a bit about what this request for info was all about and why is the FDA gathering data on raw milk cheese and what do you think the result will be? Boy, I am not sure that I can answer that question in its entirety. I am not a cheesemaker. I am certainly an advocate of well-produced raw milk cheese. Um, I know that the American Cheese Society uh, over... 2014, 2015, has worked very hard to establish a relationship with the FDA. Uh, Previously, I believe, they have focused their attention on um, large commodity production and haven't taken into consideration the differences in scale of production and the differences in care in production between the two, the different differences necessary to do a farmstead raw milk um, artisan cheese of low production um, capacity versus a large production facility, which is gathering milk for many miles around. Um, and the ACS was able to come to the table and to represent its membership as a viable source of information, not only of consumers but producers, um, and also an incredibly large segment of the rural economy that happens with small cheese-making facilities within their states and counties. So I think that that's part of it. Um, uh, the thing that they asked for comments, I think, is fantastic because uh, we in the artisan cheese world are highly opinionated and incredibly um, passionate about um, about this area and being able to give people a choice uh, to produce raw milk cheese and the Cheese of Co- Choice Coalition, uh, which is an organization which I think your listeners are aware of, and if they're not, please ask them to, uh, to check it out online, um, has been an advocate for raw milk cheese making. I do believe that the standards by which cheesemakers are judged are um, a bit inconsistent, so my hope is that they're looking to harmonize the regulations by which they evaluate cheesemakers. Um, I also think that there's a lot of work being done to put into place good manufacturing practices and HACCP programs and milk testing at the source. So whether or not you're making with pasteurized milk or with raw milk, you are checking your raw ingredients. And it's really about um, good practices and helping teach people how to be better versus punitive actions moving backwards. That's my hope. Um, I, I am open to any comments anybody has on this. What do you think, Lassa? Wow. <laughs> it's a big one. Um, well, number one, I think, I think it's great that um, the, the American Cheese Society has stepped forward, which is really a non-denominational for most people um, who are in the cheese industry. They are trying very hard to educate and educate both on the consumer side as well as the maker side and and, and, in every way, shape, and form, but also um, make this relationship with the FDA. So, And the FDA has has also said, we want to learn. So I think this, in every way, this is really good. And I think the underlying thing, which often gets lost in this, is though nobody's there's, nobody's trying to be evil here. Um, it's ignorance on either side. Everybody wants to do the right thing, and nobody wants to either hurt someone with, with um, a product that's not good, nor do they want to stop things from happening. So education is, is paramount. But 
I, I think that um, these things take time, and um, there is, I think, the, the underlying, um, again, to underscore this, that ignorance really is the thing that um, it comes down to, not knowing the science, um, not understanding how cheese is made and what's really happening, and, as Deborah says, to, um, to look at the practices that people have and make it make it a supportive environment rather than a um, a negative oh you're doing something it's just it's too much and you need to stop kind of environment I think that what I would like to hear from this um, especially coming from this whole and what I read from the ACS's response to this was that this educational side of it and the and throwing throwing the um, throwing this question out so everybody, whether you be a cheesemaker or a consumer or anything, can actually respond to this with some education behind it will actually help the FDA understand where the public stands on this. And 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 this is one of those times that you really have to put your, you have to to voice your opinion. Right. So it's a... Perhaps where the, you know, where the danger lies. And I think that that's where I'm, you know, I can always jump into the question, but it makes me wonder... You know, why is raw milk, um, why is that targeted as a source of foodborne illness out of all of the things that come across the USDA website for recalls, right? That's always sort of what I wonder. And though it is one thing of many and all things should be evaluated, um, I'm always curious about that. Me too, because the foodborne illness that cheese, the foodborne illnesses in cheese is like a, a very, very, very small part of the whole pie of the foodborne illnesses that get reported to the to even to the Board of Health or anywhere. It's like less than one percent annually of, of of foodborne illness. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 not up there. I mean. Bad yep. meat, bad seafood. That's where you're gonna die. You're gonna eat. You eat. You eat some some bad chicken. You're, or you're go- gonna feel like you're yeah. Gonna you're die going down. Sure. You're going down hard. You However, really are. I, I agree with you. I think it was four incidences between uh, 1998 and 2011 was what came through to CDC. But the other thing is, you know, there's an an economical component to the question. Well, uh, there always is. And so, you know, perhaps it is in everybody's best interest because dairy is such a huge part of the American economy. It's in everybody's interest to make sure that there are there are no outbreaks of any kind, pasteurized or raw, right. because there are so many jobs and so many people's livelihood that depends on it. See, and I, now that's but, a nice way to look at it. And I, I always swing to the to the other side and to say to that, the dark that side. well, that it that it encourages larger concerns, food concerns, to be more profitable. You know, be, by giving people less options. You know, to to eat. I mean, it, it, you have people out there who are teaching food safety. Or at a place that I just was, that you know, we're encouraging people not to eat sprouts from a farm because it could possibly be, you know, be carrying some sort of disease. And I was like, what do you want from a farm? Do you want this stuff to grow on a tree already in the box? You know what I mean? Like it's it's just. I, I go the other way. I mean, your your way is probably the better way to go, but I, I just wonder, at, because there's so much money involved, but that's just me. You know, maybe well, I shouldn't I say that, that sort of thing. I agree. I do agree, actually, Greg, and I think there's parts of everything that both Deborah and I would, would thumbs up on, but I do think that coming back to ignorance is something, I mean, 
if you don't understand something, and I'm not going to point the finger at the FDA, but I know there were times when there was, there was talks happening in front of us where it was very clear that this was an area they really just didn't know a lot about, which is why I think it's really good that they're asking the questions that they're asking. I, I agree so with that, 100%. I feel like cheese, as much as we like to think that people really understand cheese and cheese making, even at the highest levels, they don't. And so and rather than learn about it, they would. It's it's easier just to say, look, slap some leg- you know, legislation on. Let's not. And so I, I think one of the things that impresses me a lot, and I think this is my big thing, and as a food lover in general, uh, is that flavor is so important. And if you look, if we could, the American population and the, everybody could band together more with all cheese making areas, especially ones that are looking at flavor components and the science behind that, they would understand why we are so incredibly keen on keeping raw milk cheeses in our life. Absolutely. And case in point on that is Comté. Gruyere is doing the same, but they have an entire, their entire um, uh, school and, and, and laboratory is built on, on um, studying flavor and the things that come in through the grass, through the soil, to show through the milk in the cheese. So if you love food and you love flavor, it's really important that we think about having unpasteurized, safe cheese. Amen to that. (laughs) And to look at the the percentages of people that actually over the globe have ever been hurt in any way by cheese. Yeah, I I absolutely agree with you. And I I just want to add in here that... You know, raw milk in itself is not dangerous, right? The microbiology, the microbiology of milk, whether it's raw or pasteurized, is the is the total is the sum of all the practices on the farm and the production, and that's where right. we need to look for all things, right? It's not right. the milk; it's how it's handled in the health of the cows, and the you know the 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 skill of the cheesemaker and the the maintenance of the equipment. You know, the entire thing. It's the entire thing, which is right. why cheesemakers absolutely have to be. And I think, you know, the the responsibility is appropriately placed to be able to document their manufacturing practices and their 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 HACCP plan and, you know, how they, how they at every step ensure the public safety. Yeah, you got to show your work every second of the way now. That's just the way it is. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. No, it isn't. I mean, it isn't. I, I can appreciate that it's labor and time and cost, but that lies to us as the sellers and the consumers um, to educate, you know, that, you know, it shouldn't, it can't be cheap. It just can't be. The, the world in it, general it, needs right. transparency at this point. And, and I'm going through this in my job right now. You know, as you grow, yeah. as we grow, as our industry grows, transparency is key. It's not just us saying, hey, we got this. No, it's totally cool. Ramel yeah. cheese is great. People need to see, the, the, you need to show the work. And I've been getting in trouble for not showing my work for about 30 Six years of my life. So, Why am I not I, surprised? I, I get that. Um, so uh, I wanted to say, you know, as a final public service announcement, the American Cheese Society submitted its official response to the FDA last week. That's what we're talking about, the link of which you can find on our show page at heritageradio.network, heritageradionetwork.org. Jesus. Uh, the ACS is encouraging all members to submit comments to the FDA as well, even if your comment simply states that as an ACS member, you support ACS. CS's response. Um, 
Now, I'm going to have to go uh, quick and uh, visit my parole officer. You know, um, I only get let out to do these shows <laughs> once a week. But um, I um, just wanted to say, you know, in summary, that uh, it was great to talk about cheese names and uh, what makes a good name and just uh, a discussion of that in general. And um, it's always nice to talk about, you know, important things like um, ACS and FDA and raw milk. So I wanted to thank you, Deborah and Thalassa, for coming on and everybody for listening. We'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd on Heritage Radio Network. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Eat thanks. good cheese. Bye-bye. Yeah. Network.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.